All right, Ruth chapter 2. Brother Tim read us chapter 2 today. Uh, And so what we're going to do is we're going to go down verse by verse and just kind of explore uh, what God has to say through us, uh, to us through Ruth. Uh, Let's pray. Let's start with prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to gather together, to read your word, to study your word, to know you more. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me, Lord, that your words would be spoken. I pray that you would give us wisdom, uh, give us ears to hear, uh, give us understanding and soften our hearts. We love you, Lord Jesus, and praise your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so before I read chapter 2, or before we go through chapter 2, let's do a quick recap. It's been a little bit since uh, we talked about chapter 1. If you recall, the book of Ruth, right after the, the book of Judges, is set during the time of the Judges. Might help if I actually turn my slides on. Here we go. All right. And so, uh, again, the the book of Ruth is set in the time of the Judges. In chapter 1, it states that, first sentence, now it came about in the days when the Judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Two big key points that the author of the book of Ruth wanted us to know. And they mention, the, the author mentions that this takes place during the time of the judges, indicating that it's a dark time in Israel's history. It's kind of the dark ages in a sense. This is before they had a king, and this is during a time when Israel had taken over the promised land, but Joshua has died, and some time has passed between Moses, Joshua, and that group that came over into the promised land. And so people have begun to forget why they're there. They had begun to forget God, actually. And so as you read, it's it's kind of a depressing book in one sense if you read through the book of Judges because Israel is so unfaithful and they have scattered so so horribly. Um, There's no unity and it's kind of each tribe for their own selves and sometimes each family for their own selves and you see a lot of warring and so forth that goes on. Uh, So again, it's kind of a dark time in Israel's history. What's unique about Ruth and, as I mentioned last time, the book of Esther, is that there's no direct reference to God in the sense of, if you read through, you know, 1st, 2nd Samuel, uh, if you read through other sections of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you come to where people, they petition God, they talk to God directly, and God responds to them. There is that interaction, there's that connection. Well, that's missing in the book of Ruth, and it's missing in the book of Esther. And the book of Esther, of course, takes place during the uh, captivity of Israel in Babylon because Israel had sinned uh, and had pulled away from God. And so God was, again, trying to get their attention. And that's during the book of Judges, that's what God is trying to do, get his people's attention through uh, wars, through famines, etc. And again, famines were something that God, because the promised land was supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It was supposed to be a place where people would go and they just, God's people had everything that they could imagine, everything that they need. And yet, here it is, they're going through a famine. Uh, And again, it's because they have pulled away from God. And so we run across this family, uh, led by a man named Elimelech. You have Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons. And they decide to go to the land of Moab. 
uh, in order to get bread. And you think, okay, well, that's, that's normal. But as we discussed last time, that was not a good thing because Moab was an enemy country. They were pagans. Uh, and a lot of times the famines in the land of Israel were due to the Moabite people. And so going over, leaving the promised land, leaving Bethlehem, by the way, which means the house of bread, it's very symbolic, leaving that to go to Moab to do things themselves, not turning to God, not saying, God, please provide for us. We're sorry for what we've done, etc. Instead, they go to Moab and that never ends well. Anytime you decide to do something on your own rather than what God wants you to do, rather than resting in his promises, not so great results happen. And Elimelech planned to only stay there for a short time, but it turned out to be permanent for him. He died there. His two sons then married Moabite ladies, and then they died after 10 years of being there. And then, of course, Naomi is like, you know what? It's time for me to go back home. Enough of this. And her two daughters-in-law start to go with her. Then she convinces Orpah to go back, but Ruth clings to her and says, no, I'm going to go with you. And of course, makes that very now, very famous uh, saying, that very famous line of, uh, you know, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Uh, your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And again, we, we oftentimes... That whole section has been read even at weddings. Uh, and it's been repeated so many times that sometimes it loses a little bit of the meaning. And if you go back and read that section of Scripture, you'll find that Ruth is not just saying, Naomi, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. You and, you and me, we're, we're BFFs. And, you know, if, if you worship God, I'll, I'll go to church with you too. That's not what she was saying. She was making an outright proclamation that I will follow the God of Israel, the Yahweh. I'm going to leave my Moabite family, uh, country, traditions, and gods, and I'm going to follow you into the land of Israel because I want to be a part of that people. I want to worship the God of Israel. And so Naomi takes her with her. They go to Bethlehem uh, amidst all of the, the whispers uh, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you can kind of imagine the, the type of gossiping that went on as Naomi and Ruth were walking through town. So Naomi is without her husband, without her sons, and they're coming back after this long exodus or long exile, you might say, in Moab. But chapter one really kind of focuses both on Ruth's, you kind of get a taste of Ruth's character, but then you also get uh, an idea of Naomi's bitterness and just how that has affected her. The leaving the promised land, going to Moab, and then all of the things that befall them, befall her, uh, leads her to be very bitter in heart. And she makes that statement, don't call me Naomi, which means bright, call me uh, Mara, which means bitter. And so, this very bitter person returns to Israel uh, with a Moabitess in tow. And this is where chapter 1 kind of ends, and we begin chapter 2. I do want to touch on the fact that... Well, 
if you read through the Book of Ruth, you might get the impression that it's kind of like a Hallmark movie, for those of you who like Hallmark movies. Uh, I'm married now, and I like Hallmark movies because that's what my wife and I like to watch. Um, and in one sense, it kind of has that flavor. You know, there's the tragedy at the beginning, and then you have, you know, the, the return back home. A lot of the Hallmark movies have this kind of, you know, template that they use. And then, you know, they introduce the guy. There's a brief introduction. You kind of see the, the guy and the girl's path cross. Sometimes they don't quite hit it off right away. But then at the end, everybody lives happily ever after. And that's kind of the way uh, the book of Ruth, if you haven't read it, I apologize. I just spoiled it for you maybe. But uh, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, really that's, that's how it goes. And it's easy to go through the book of Ruth re- really quickly. In fact, you know, I was doing the study and I was like, okay, maybe I could do chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then as I read through chapter 2, I'm like, I, don't, I hope we make it through chapter 2 today. Because there is so much in here because this is part of God's word. This is not just a frilly story that's fun to read. This is actually part of God's word. And the reason God included this in his word is not only did he want us to learn from their experience. God is amazing how if you read through scripture, you'll find that all of our biblical heroes uh, most of the time had warts, scars, and just they tripped a lot to say the least. But God used them. And that's an encouragement to us because you don't have to be perfect, obviously, to be one of God's children and for him to use you. Then the other part, the other reason, is Ruth is kind of a parallel of our life with God. As we read through it, you'll begin to see some of the parallels. And again, you know, even in chapter 1, there was the uh, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Christ is the bread of life. When we walk away from Christ to do our own thing, go to the land of Moab, so to speak, and try to handle things ourselves without following God, not so great things happen. God still uses that in our lives. God still works through that. Obviously, in the book of Ruth, you will see, you know, just how God had orchestrated really everything to happen. But it is always best to stick close to God. And then, of course, everything in Scripture points to who? Jesus, exactly. It's all about Jesus. If you read through Scripture, there's a fascinating study called the Scarlet Thread of Redemption or the Scarlet, Scarlet Cord of Redemption from Genesis all the way through Revelation. There is a common thread that talks about how God is or will is and will soon redeem his people just this uh, through Christ. It all points to Christ, was my point. And Ruth not only points to Christ through a parallel, but also because uh, Ruth is one of the, uh, is part of the lineage of Jesus. So if you go over to, if you were to flip over to Matthew, you could read part of the lineage there, and then of course the other Gospels where they talk about uh, the lineage of Christ. And they trace it all the way back. And it always goes through uh, a few people. And it narrows it down to 
Ruth and Boaz again. Sorry, if you haven't read Ruth, I just spoiled it for you. Yes, they do get together. They get married. Ruth is part of Jesus' lineage. It's a fascinating thing when you think about it. Because if this was supposed to be based upon, if his lineage was supposed to be based upon ethnic purity and the absolute righteousness of humankind, you don't see it as you look through his lineage. Why is that? Because God's grace is always being made visible. That's really the point of this. This is all about God's grace. All right. So now we finally get into chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth and a family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We're briefly introduced to the man. But there are a few key points, and it is kind of funny how the, uh, the author of Ruth throws this in there, and then like verse 2, we, we just all of a sudden change scene, and we jump over to Ruth and Naomi having a discussion. It's like if you were watching a play on stage, a little spotlight appears on this guy standing there. His name is Boaz. And then suddenly spotlight goes off, and spotlights go on for Ruth and Naomi. And you think, okay, what was that about? Well, just letting you know, this is a teaser, and this will explain what's going to happen later on. Also, to people of this time, their ears would prick up. They would hear, oh, kinsman. Oh, I know what that means. That's interesting. Because a kinsman in that day was called a kinsman redeemer, which means somebody who could take care of them, so to speak. Uh, if they were in financial trouble, he had the ability to bail them out. Uh, if, in this case, if there was a widow, uh, or actually in this case there are two widows, he could provide for both widows. Even if he didn't marry one of them directly, he could provide for them financially. They were secure. So we're kind of getting a sneak peek of, even though this looks all dark and dreary, don't worry, there is a kinsman redeemer coming. And as you read through scripture, that's how uh, God speaks to us. You know what? It's all dark and dreary. As you look around you, this, you know, this, this world is falling apart. Your sin is heavy upon you. Don't worry. There's a, there's a redeemer. You will be redeemed. Don't worry. So that is verse 1. We're told that he's a man of great wealth. Uh, a man also, as the translation goes, he is not only a man of great wealth, but he has much respect in the community. He is a mighty man, as other translations say. And the mighty man comes across not only physically, uh, it translates as a warrior, somebody who, who actually goes to war and you know, is, is mighty with the sword, uh, but then somebody who is, again, mighty in character. And we will definitely see that with Boaz. He's mighty in character, almost to a fault. But... The kinsman redeemer, again, is a foreshadowing of Christ. And I, I kind of want you to keep that in mind as we read through. Just kind of pay attention to the, the parallel. All right. So verse 2. 
And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So, reality is kind of setting in. So that after they've gotten back, after Naomi has gotten back, after Ruth has followed her, they've made it to uh, Bethlehem. Uh, they you go to Naomi's house because uh, she still had property. She still had the house. It had been sitting vacant for 10 years, 10 plus years. And so, you know, they get there, they clean things up, they get everything organized. And once that is done, it's like, okay, reality is setting in. <laughs> the cupboards are bare. The bank account's empty. We need to do something. This speaks towards Ruth's character. She's quite the lady. Because she sees, you know what? There's something that needs to be done. And instead of going, well, Naomi, what do you think we should do about this? Um, were you going to get dinner? Do you have, you don't, you mean you don't, you don't have money. Okay, well, this is not good. She doesn't express any sort, any sort of disappointment, and certainly not. Oh, you know, I should have come. I, I knew that was a bad idea. Should have stayed back in Moab. Here I am, with this widow, no money, no food. And now I'm probably going to have to go out and earn a living. You don't hear any of that from Ruth. Instead, she comes out and says, "You know what? Um, we need to have food." So I tell you what, I've heard about part of your law that says uh, widows, orphans, poor people, they can go after the gleaners, and it just so happens, uh, I love when God uses that phrase throughout Scripture, it just so happens that it is a harvest time. And so if I go after the gleaners, I'll be able to get some of the food, and we'll have a little bit for the winter that way. And Naomi's like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Go ahead and go do it. So Naomi is old enough to where she really can't do that necessarily herself, and Ruth, seeing that, really steps up to the plate. And again, Ruth is a shadow of the church, by the way. Keep that in mind as we go through this. Boaz is shadow of Christ. Ruth is the shadow of the church on many fronts. Keep in mind, she is a Moabitist. She's a foreigner. She's not a Jew. She's of a hated people because, I mean, there was much animosity between the Moabites and the Jews, and rightly so. And so, we, as a church, most of us, I know I'm not of Jewish descent, and I don't think many here are, so technically we are considered Gentiles. We would not normally have access to God unless we went to in the Old Testament days, unless we went through the Jewish system, unless we became Jews ourselves. But through Christ, we have access to God the Father. So again, Ruth is a type, a picture of the church. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared forehand, that we should walk in them. Doing works does not get us salvation, but God does have things for us to do that we need to do, that we need to walk out in. And sometimes it's not always uh, obvious. God doesn't, you know, speak down from heaven, this morning this is what you're going to do. That's not necessarily how it works. A lot of times it's just, well, you need to get up and make your bed and get things going. 
And, you know, that may seem humdrum and boring and tedious. And some days it's like this life just never ends. It's, it's the same thing every day. And yet that's what God has you do. So again, Ruth doesn't complain. She does see that there's work to be done. She does run her ideas by Naomi, and you think this is a good idea. This is what I think, based upon what you've told me, is that's a good idea, right? Shows how humble she is. She's not arrogant. She's also very humble when she approaches the harvesters. Please may I glean behind you. Now, according to law, they had to let her do that, but this is the time of the judges. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to be following God. She could have been chased out of the field. She could have been assaulted. She's humble because she knows she's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. She's a widow with no prospects. She knows she needs to take care of Naomi and herself, but she trusts in the God of Israel. All right. Verse 3. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the family of Elimelech. Again, I, I like when God does that. If you, if you do a word search, uh, one of the word searches I encourage you to do is, uh, or phrase search, you might say, is uh, it happened or uh, just so happened. Uh, even Christ used that in the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. So there was a man who went on a trip, and he came upon robbers and so forth. Skip forward to the people that walked by, and it just so happened that a Levite walked by, a priest walked by, a lawyer walked by, and it just so happened a Samaritan walked by. As Jesus is telling this, the Jewish people are like, there is no just, just happened. What you're telling me is that you orchestrated, that God orchestrated this. And that's what's being translated here. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. It just so happened. Because from our earthly perspective, it does look like that. But from God's perspective, he's actually orchestrating everything and moving things along accordingly. And it just so happened she came to the field of Boaz, who was in the family of Elimelech. And again, go back to verse one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Who is, who is Boaz again? Oh, he's of the family of Elimelech. He's wealthy. He's a kinsman, kinsman redeemer. Now we're introduced to Boaz. Boaz's character. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. He is, I don't, know many, I don't know many employers who would do this sort of thing. So he's a very wealthy em employer. He owns the land. He owns the crops. He owns the workers. They work for him. And yet, he comes out to the field. He has a manager, by the way. He has somebody who manages the people. He will talk with him in just a minute. But he comes out himself. And later on, you'll see where he actually works with his people. He breaks a sweat. 
He works through the day. He didn't have to do this, but he did anyway. And his character is such that he's always joyful. And he brings with him God's blessing. What does he say? May the Lord be with you. It's not just a common greeting. It's not just, hey, how are you guys doing? Doing good? All right. This is a, a blessing upon you. It's an encouragement. And then they respond to him. May the Lord bless you. Now, obviously, you know, it can, it can take the flavor of this common greeting. You know, where we, we as Americans, we go, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. That's our common response. Yeah, my life stinks right now, but I'm not going to say that. I'm doing good. That's kind of what we say. But in this case, it is a, uh, it's a positive response. He blesses them, and they bless him back. Kind of interesting how there's a blessing that goes both ways. There's no animosity from his workers. There's, again, a positive response. They view him favorably. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Translated, who's that? He looks out over his servants. Now, he had both male and female servants. It was common for male and females to work in the field. Uh, they had different roles. Um, but during harvest time, it was kind of an all-hands-on-deck. We need the field cleared before storms come, before the harvest goes beyond the point of being ripe. Uh, we were just at a pumpkin patch, my family and I, here recently, and there was a corn maze. It was kind of fun to go through. Um, and they had harvested some of the corn, but there was a lot left behind, and it had gone past the point of being ripe. And it was, the corn maze was fun, but it was like, uh, yeah, this is, there, there were flies all around, and, you know, it's, it, it's not super cool as crops begin to go beyond the point of, you know, when it's time to harvest them. So, when it's time to harvest, you move. You don't just let things sit. And then, of course, there's always the threat of raiders. So when is the best time for raiders to come? Is it when the seed has been planted? No. It's just dirt at that point. Is it when things are beginning to grow? Well, no, because it's just kind of grass. There's really nothing to take. It's during harvest time when you would have raiders come over and take what you've worked hard to grow. And so, again, it's an all-hands-on-deck. Everybody's out there working. And what's interesting is Boaz is familiar with all of his people. And he looks out and he sees a young lady he's never seen before. And he's, who's that? Hey, come here. Who is that? And that is the first time he lays eyes on Ruth. Now, if you're, if you're romantic like me, uh, you might say, okay, you know, that was kind of like, oh, Wow. Who is that? And the servant in charge of the reapers answered and says, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. This goes towards Ruth's character. So this is introduction of the woman. So we had introduction of the man, now we have introduction of the woman. Again, you know, kind of
kind of going along with the Hallmark theme. Pardon me for being kind of romantic at heart, but, you know, there is romance in this book. We, we can't get around it. But note how she has been introduced. It's not just, yeah, this is the young lady who's with Naomi, who's been taking care of her, uh, and she's, she has to glean in the field. And I said, yeah, that's, that's okay. He introduces her as what? He said, she is the young Moabite woman. Now, with that title is something of, there's a little bit of, uh, not necessarily disdain, well, yeah, probably disdain, but also it, it puts a label on her. She's from Moab. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament Levitical law, it was don't touch. Don't marry anybody who is not a Jew. And that was not for racial purity. That was because God said, if you do that, if your sons marry their daughters, what's going to happen? They're going to walk away from me. And they're going to start following the gods of those people, which has, that's been what's happening. And so there, there comes kind of the stigma, in a sense, with that label. She's the young Moabite woman. She's the one who returned with Naomi. Okay, yeah, Naomi. From the land of Moab, yeah. Remember that little scandal that just happened? But she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she has remained from the morning until now. So we go from the label, but then as he's explaining how she got there, he's like, But you know, she's kind of impressive because she, not only she asked, she didn't have to ask. It's by law we're allowed to just let her pick up the leavings. But she asked. And then she has worked from early morning until now, tirelessly. She's taken just a short break, as it says. She's only been in the house for a little while. The house that's being referred to is eventually where they will have a meal also. It's, a, it's kind of a shack out in the field that provided them shade. After all, this is Israel. It's like the area we live sunshiny and warm, to say the least, until it's cold. But it's still sunshiny, and a lot of times it's very hot. Even as you're working out under the fall sun, it's still very hot at times. And so, you know, it's nice to have some shade. Go someplace where you can drink some cool water, sit down for a few minutes, kind of refresh yourself, and then head back to it again. And that's where she was. And so the servant has said, yeah, she's worked with us from early morning up until now, where we all kind of took a break. Verse 8. Then Boaz says to Ruth, he calls her over. He said, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eye be on the field with the, which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So he calls her over. He says, stay in the field. This is, this is great that you're here. Stay in the field, and you don't have to leave my field. 
because there's a risk to you. Uh, you took a great risk coming here, and you just you happen to choose the right field. But there's a risk in you going to other fields. Uh, for one thing, you're a foreigner. You're not well-liked, but you're also a female by yourself out in the field. And unfortunately, like today, there are oftentimes unsavory individuals around, especially of the worker class. And so he was telling her, stay here, stay with my ladies, and you'll be safe. Follow them, glean the field here. Note how he addresses her, listen carefully, my daughter. It's kind of an interesting phrase. He is addressing her as the owner of the land. He's addressing her as an older guy because Boaz is a little bit older than Ruth. She's probably in her late 20s and he's more in his probably early 40s, around in there. So there's a distance of age. He's going to address that later, by the way. But also, it is a title that, you know, again, somebody in authority would give to somebody under that individual. But he's, he's not just saying woman, as often was common. He addresses her as daughter, which means I'm here to protect you. So there's the, there's the offer. And also note in verse 9, not only does he tell her to stay in the fields, but he said, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. In other words, you are well protected here. Nobody will assault you in any way, shape, or form. There will be no bad Moab jokes. Nobody will offend you. Nobody will touch you, as would be the case if you went to another field. And when you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Again, this is an interesting parallel. Does it bring to mind anything? So she's protected, but then she's also offered water. If you go over to John chapter 4, we're not going to read it right now, but this is the woman in the well. And Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. He says, you know, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water, please? And so she goes to give him water. And then they have this conversation about living water. And so it's just, again, it's, in, it's an interesting parallel if you think of Boaz as a type of Christ and Ruth as the church. There's an offer to give water. It was kind of an interesting thing. At the fair, uh, our booth had, you know, we had candy. We had books and tracks and all sorts of good stuff. But then we also had ice chests of water, and we were handing out water to people as they would walk by. Uh, it was a warm day, and water was a big hit for the most part. But it was interesting when people would turn, they would see the booth, who we belonged to, and I, I would offer water. I said, would you like some water? And when I would get the response of, no, no, I'm good, thank you, it was... It was more than just, yeah, I'm, I'm not really thirsty right now. Um, because I would usually offer water to people if they didn't have water in their hands or if they didn't have a drink, obviously, they're not going to be thirsty if they have that stuff. Um, I would offer water to people who didn't have water and who had been walking around and so forth. Uh, but to get a refusal 
of no, no, I'm, I, don't, I don't need water, thank you, is it, it was a double-pronged refusal. Not only, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to take water, but also it was an offer of, I'm, I'm offering water in the physical sense, but I'm also offering water in the spiritual sense. Would you like it? And no, thank you, I don't want that. So in, in John chapter 4, that's what Jesus does to the woman at the well. I have water for you. And they have that interaction. He uses the symbolism of water. And Boaz tells Ruth, there's water for you if you want it. It's available to you. Ruth's response. She responds to the undeserved grace. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? For I am a foreigner. That is our response to Christ's grace. We should fall on our face and say, Lord, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve salvation. And then, of course, Boaz answered and says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me in how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to the people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He identifies, you know what? You've left your homeland, you've left your practices, you've left your family, and you've left your gods. And you've come to Israel, the, the people of promise, to serve the God of Israel, Yahweh. You're under his protection now. Welcome to the family. Then she says, I found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Again, just the humble response, Lord, I don't deserve this but you love me anyway. There's that, there's a song, I'm trying to remember who sings that, if it's Pocket Full of Rocks or somebody, uh, but you love me anyway. The, the, the uh, author goes through listing off all of the sins, all of the things that we've done, all of the things that I've done, and says, but you love me anyway, Lord. How can that be? And this is the type of response she gives to Boaz. <clears throat> and then we have the meal. I don't want to draw too much symbolism, but it's just kind of everywhere in this book. In the meantime, Boaz, uh, and at mealtime, excuse me, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar or wine. And that was just a common practice of, uh, apparently it was supposed to, and it's, this is still a practice today over in the Mediterranean areas. During the time of harvest, it's hot, and when they have their meal, instead of something heavy, they have something fairly light, and they would dip bread into vinegar, uh, and it is refreshing to them. It gives them sustenance, uh, and it kind of refreshes them. They have cool water to drink and bread to eat and so forth. But note, Boaz kind of skips over a custom. The custom was to have the male servants here, the owner here, and the female servants back over here. And Boaz says, come on over here. You can dip in my bowl. Again, symbolism between Christ. Uh, think back to the, uh, 
the Last Supper, when Jesus shared bread with his disciples, they all dipped into his bowl. It was a shared thing. You are part of my family. I will share what I have with you. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied. Again, just my mind kept going back to all of the times when Jesus had interaction with people. Remember the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, to where people ate. It says in Scripture, they ate until they were satisfied, and there were baskets left over. You can never outgive God. When he bestows grace upon you, it overflows. My cup overfloweth. That is what Psalm 23 says. But note how he served her. He's the master. He's got servants to do that job. He can just say, hey, give her some food. Now he got up and he served her himself. Picture of Christ. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Don't push her away. Let her come up with the reapers and pull grain aside for herself. Normally, people who would follow the reapers would get the leavings. Because, I mean, you can only carry so much, invariably you're going to drop something as you reap things. You know, again, things are left behind, and they were supposed to leave some behind for the poor anyway. That was how God's system worked. If you didn't have money, if you didn't have food, there was no welfare. You had to go out and work for it. And there was food available for people to come and get. It wasn't baked bread along the side of the road. It was wheat that had been harvested that was left there. They had to go gather that up themselves. They had to go take it and beat it out. Had to grind it down and then had to make the wheat themselves or the, the bread themselves. Such was in the law of God, and that would norm, that's what would normally happen. But in this case, Boaz is telling his servants, you know what, let her come up with you and reap with you, and she will take that back home. I don't need that. Let her take it. So essentially, he's giving her some of the best. That was the whole point of that. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So note, she had gleaned until evening, and then she had to go home, beat it all out. That's quite a process, by the way, because they lay it out all on the floor, and then she would take what would akin, uh, be akin to a heavy nunchuck, and she would, she would beat the wheat to separate the kernel of wheat from the chaff. And then you take a fan or a big blanket or something, and you would blow away the chaff and you'd be left with grain. And then she'd scoop it all up and she took that home. Quite a lady is our Ruth. So an ephah of barley, by the way, is quite a large amount. She didn't come home with a little bit is what she expected. Maybe just a little bit just enough to get us through a couple of days. She came home with a large sack on her back. They said sometimes an ephah could be even the size of a man to where it was, it was very large. 
And so she was carrying a large bundle on her back or on her head and then beat that out. And she had a large sack of grain she took home with her. This was almost a year's worth of food in one night. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. Yeah, I bet she did. Come home with a huge sack. She also took it out and gave Naomi some of what she had left from her meal that day. And Naomi was satisfied. So Ruth had leftover food and shared that with Naomi as well. Hey, this is what I had for lunch. We have dinner tonight. I don't have to make something. It's all right here. I have the bread, I have the grain, etc. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today? And where did you work? Now, I'm sure that wasn't just a casual question of, yeah, where, how was your day? It was good night. Where did you go? Where did all of this come from? This is more than I expected. Who took notice of you? That was the point of that question. Who took notice of you? You have a ton of grain. Somebody must have taken notice of you and had favor upon you for you to collect so much grain. And Ruth says, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now Naomi's eyebrows go up. Ah. This is uh, Naomi... Again, if you're familiar with Fiddler on the Roof, picture Naomi as the, as the matchmaker. The, ah, there's, there's, I, I see. I see how this is going. Now, Ruth is, is oblivious to this. She has no idea who, who Boaz is. She says, yeah, I, the man who owns the field is very kind. His name is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law in verse 20, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi is understanding. Can you imagine from Naomi's perspective? She's home waiting for Ruth to come back, and prospects for Naomi are not rosy. She's kind of an outcast in one sense because her family went to Moab. They're now back. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons. There's nobody to take care of her. She's a widow. And she would then be kind of a burden upon society in one sense. And at that time, you know, they just come out of a famine. It's like, you know, do we really, do we really have to deal with you two? She would be a low priority. Let's put it that way. So her prospects are not rosy. She's still dealing with bitterness. Her life has not just suddenly become rosy because she's back at home. No, you know, she's... Depression seems to set in when you're by yourself. And you feel it the most at that time. So she's been left alone in the house to think about everything for the entire day. Ruth has been busy. <laughs> Ruth has had a great day. But Naomi is, has been kind of left home to stew about stuff. And so... Suddenly, Ruth comes back late in the evening, and she has way more than Naomi had expected. Naomi is beginning to see, you know, God has provided this. And then 
Ruth's like, yeah, and I worked with a guy named Boaz. And suddenly, Naomi's like, who? She makes the comment, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. God, you've provided a kinsman redeemer. We at least have food. And again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Ruth, okay. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So what he said was good. Stay with his maids. Work in his fields. And of course, you know, there's the other side of Naomi that's, Stay close to Boaz. Ruth's obedience, verse 23, last verse of that chapter. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She was obedient. She listened. She listened to Boaz and she listened to Naomi. Now she could have said, you know what? I was actually passing by another field the other day and one of those guys was like, hey, come on over here. I'll give you a lot of grain. And so I was like, you know, I, I could go out there as well. It's closer that field is closer than Boaz's field, and you know, I could do that one instead, and I could take this grain, maybe go sell it, and you know, we could buy other stuff. She followed, she did what she was told, and because she, she saw it wise to do so, and really, again, uh, as Ruth is the, uh, the symbol of the church, Ruth gleaned blessings by being obedient. We glean blessings by being obedient to God. When we stick close to God, when we stay in God's field, we reap his blessings. When we stick close to him, we reap his blessings. We get to know him more. That's, that's one of the best blessings there is. But then he has other blessings. As I said, you can't outgive God. Your cup will overflow with the blessings that he gives you as you draw closer to him, as you walk in the ways that he set before you. And this is the call for the church. Walk in his ways. Get to know Christ. And for those who don't know Christ, if, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him, I encourage you, get to know Jesus. Your life will be full to overflowing. Sure, you can do it all yourself. You could certainly muck it out yourself. But the end is not going to be pretty for you. Know Jesus. Walk with him. I invite you today. Walk with Jesus.